Good morning, church. It has been a while since I've been up here. Uh, that shows that uh, there are quite a lot of uh, brothers and sisters here that I really still need to get to know. Right? Um, it is uh, fantastic uh, to witness this morning the public affirmation of faith of eight new brothers and sisters, isn't it? Hey. Uh, this is supposed to be a pretty interactive session. <laughs> pretty interactive, you know. We don't come to church and then uh, you have the worship leader and then you have prayers and when I come out to speak, everybody just kind of nod your heads, right? And then we move on. No, it's an interactive session, isn't it? God wants us to interact and to affirm our faith, isn't it? Yeah. Amen, amen. Um, let me give a brief introduction of, uh, of myself and my family. Uh, we are the Yo's family, the Yo's. When I first went to the U.S., you know, fellow F, uh, black Americans, friends, would say, hey, what's your name? I say, my name is Yo, man. <laughs> you know, so that kind of stuck. So uh, in Chinese, our family name is Yang, Mu Yang. Uh, so Stephen, uh, Stephen Yang, that's how I call myself here in China. Um, how many of you have been traveling around the world, or living around the world for over 30 years? 30 years, 3-0. So you started traveling when you were four. <laughs> okay, I saw... Okay, great. 20 years? Pretty good, pretty impressive. 10 years? 5? Practically most all of us, right? 3 years, 2 years. Our family, we were traveling around the world and living in different parts of the world for 27 years. And I started traveling when I was like uh, eight. <laughs> you know, so uh, we live in all parts of the world, but God took us in 1999 to China. We spent for the first four and a half years in Shanghai, and in 2003, we came to Beijing. Before Beijing, every Sunday morning, I would find every possible excuse not to go to church. Bad weather. Bad traffic. Yes. Golf buddies were called. I always had a reason. But when we came to Beijing, God put a stop to all this. And we discovered this wonderful place called CCC. Our family was so blessed, we were among uh, the first 12 families. Uh, when we had our Sunday service, we had it in one of the uh, members' uh, family's home. Uh, at that time, it was... Uh, no, it's not Yosemite? No, not River Garden? Lemon Lake, in the basement of Lemon Lake in 2003. 2000, that was before your time, Deborah. And Lemon Lake. 
So, so we grew with the church. Uh, uh, my beautiful wife back there, could you please raise your hand? Yeah, she's the most beautiful woman I've ever met, still is and will be. Uh, she and my two daughters, we, uh, we grew up in uh, CCC. We were all baptized here in CCC. I serve as a, a MC every Sunday morning. And uh, we grew. Eventually, we started our own small group at home. Uh, we led our small groups uh, for six to seven years. My wife and I, we serve in Bible study fellowship here in, uh, in China for a short duration under, under the leadership of Mark and Angie Schleif. We were so privileged. And a couple of years later, I was called to serve as an elder of CCC, responsible for finance. And uh, my wife uh, continued to serve even today. Uh, in 2013, uh, we relocated back to Singapore uh, due to aging parents. And, uh, but my older daughter, together with uh, the former youth pastor here, John Sorrell, she's just flourishing in our church in Singapore, serving God and mentoring the youth. So we are extremely, extremely blessed and grateful for CCC. And uh, I've always kept in touch uh, when I travel back and forth between Singapore and Beijing uh, with uh, Rick and the fellow el other fellow elders. And a year ago, I studied the book of Haggai. And God placed this message in my heart that, that I have to share it with you. It's so compelling, I have to share it with you. So for no other reason than this, you guys need to pay attention this morning. And uh, this is a sharing of what I've learned from the book of Haggai. And I'm not preaching out to you, but I want to share what I've learned from this book. Uh, before we proceed, uh, please uh, pray with me. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Father, we, um, we praise your name for you are truly the great I am. You are Jehovah, you are the creator of heaven and earth, and Father, you make us. We are so privileged to be your children, and today we are so honored to, to be a witness of your presence here, that our brothers and sisters declare their, public, that they declare their faith publicly to the congregation. Father, we thank you again for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for brothers and sisters in this wonderful family here. We thank you for all blessings that you have poured on us uh, eternally. And, and Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to learn your word this morning. Father, may you use me to reach out to our brothers and sisters this morning. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Uh, the word, how many of you have already gone through the uh, Old Testament multiple times and the book of Haggai is kind of like uh, all in your fingertips? Anybody? You, only one, okay. Uh, you, I might call on you for assistance <laughs> later on. <laughs> yeah. I might call on you. I might call on you. Now, 
Haggai, what is the meaning of the word Haggai? Haggai means festival of Jehovah. The word Haggai means festival of Jehovah. So it's a celebration, celebration of God. It is the first prophetic uh, voice of the restoration. What does the restoration mean? We will look at it later on in kind of the background context of, uh, of uh, Haggai uh, during, uh, during his time. Uh, just for information, it is the second shortest book of the Old Testament. Obadiah is the shortest. And um, Haggai is actually God's rebuke against spiritual indifference. Uh, we will look uh, cl uh, closely on that. Um, I kind of structured my sharing today uh, in, in a couple of categories. Uh, this, uh, I'm going to talk about here briefly on the main content. Haggai is primarily God's call to the Jews to have proper priorities. To have proper priorities and to put God's house first. And this will all come about as we look through the scriptures. The main story of Haggai is the construction of Israel's second temple. We all know, primarily as believers, or even as non-believers, some of us most probably would have picked up the Bible in the past and read through it. And we will know that... Uh, during the different stages of the biblical history, uh, we came to the stage that John, uh, James talked about Exodus, the wandering of 40 years in the wilderness, and of course they reached the promised land. Then we had the periods where there were the judges, and finally we saw the first king, the kingdom. And we have King David and Solomon, his son, built the first temple. But the first temple was destroyed in the invasion by Babylon in 585 BC. So here is about the construction of Israel's second temple when the Jews returned from exile. The key word of Haggai is consider your ways. Consider your ways. A little bit about the background is that uh, I mentioned about Solomon, about the kingdom, and the Jews were truly blessed at that time. God loved them. They were the chosen people. But they continued to sin. They continued to sin. So, what was one of the most basic sins? is that God told them that every seventh year, you need to observe the Sabbath year. For 490 years, they kind of ignore it or they forgot about it. So they, they just continue to plow and reap and sow and plow and reap and sow. That God said, enough is enough. So punishment for the Israelis. For 490 years, they were going to be banished for 70 years. So for every seven years, one year of punishment. Therefore, they were going to be banished to Babylon for 70 years. So the first invasion took place in B.C. 605 when Daniel, you guys remember Daniel? 
Daniel was taken captive, and he was sent off to Babylon. And then came the second invasions a few years later in 597 BC, where the prophet Ezekiel, together with others, was taken captive. And the third invasion came at that time where Jeremiah saw the destruction of the temple and he wept and he wrote lamentations describing the total destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple and he was also brought captive into, into Babylon. Daniel, God used Daniel to preach to the crown in Babylon and he did, God, and he did great things. God used him wonderfully. Ezekiel, God used him to reach out to the captives. So even though they were in bondage, they were in captivity, God never forget them. Never. And after spending 70 years in captivity, God touched King Cyrus, the Persian king that actually invaded Babylon and took over power. And King Cyrus in the year B.C. 539, uh, the period 539 to 530, about exactly 70 years later, Cyrus issued the decree in his first year permitting the Jews to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild their temple. And the wonderful thing was this was all prophesied by Isaiah 170 years earlier. Amen. And uh, this started now. They, so we saw three invasions, three waves going to Babylon. Now, with King Cyrus decree initiated by God, three waves of returnees. You know, like Chinese returnees from the America coming back to China. Three waves of returnee came. The first return was led by none other than Zerubbabel. He was the political leader. The second return was led by Ezra, the prophet Ezra, who eventually organized the Old Testament canon together with prophet Malachi. And, um, and the third return uh, was, uh, was led by the prophet Nehemiah. So the first re return under Zerubbabel was about the reconstruction of the temple. The second return was about the revival of the people. And the third return was about rebuilding the walls of the temple. But today, in the book of Haggai, we are going to be looking at the reconstruction of the temple. So Haggai is a very short book. It's only two chapters long. Chapter 2 is a key chapter. And the key verses are in Haggai chapter 1, verse 4 and 8, and chapter 2, verse 7 and 9. And we're going to look at them uh, very closely. From a timeline perspective, uh, we'll kind of quickly look through this so you can see on the PowerPoint. Uh, Zerubbabel first returned in 536 BC. One year later, the work on the temple begins. But then... Notice the last line, 535 to 520, Haggai's first call to build. There was a stoppage of 15 years, 15 years. 
And then moving on, we saw in 520, Haggai's second message. And 520, Zechariah's first message. I will tell you why uh, these two are kind of working together. And in 520, December 24th, Haggai's third message, or God's third message through Haggai. So there was a 15-year halt in construction. There was discouragement, indifference, and apathy among the Jews who returned, together with Zerubbabel. And we'll talk about a dynamic duo. The 15-year halt in construction, what actually happened, most of us might be thinking, or, or, or what caused it? You know, as the Jews started coming back and they started the first reconstruction, Satan will never, never sit still and allow believers to do God's work. Am I right? He will always try to place obstacles, issue threats. So Satan used the pagan enemies, the local governments, the Samaritans, yeah, to discourage the Jews. And all were discouraged. All were discouraged. Yeah, they hired counselors to work against the Jews and frustrate them. There were a lot of letter writings to the Persian kings. Yeah? And the Persian king received the letter and wrote back, yes, all work should stop. And they stopped the work. Until in 520 BC, Darius the Great wrote a letter ordering that construction be resumed. Now, the dynamic duo of Haggai and Zechariah, uh, they work very closely together, these two prophets. They are kind of the dynamic duo. Haggai is more of the practical uh, prophet, where he goes up and rebuke and admonish the people and told them, let's get to work. Zechariah is more of the prophetic, visionary prophet. He had great biblical visions about God's will for the people. As we move to the first message, I'd like you to look at this. The first message from God is, consider your ways and complete my tempers. Uh, for those of you who have the Bible, I'd like to encourage you to open to the book of Haggai. We're going to do a quick uh, uh, reading of the uh, verses before verse 4 and on to verse 8 and uh, 10. Starting with verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shetiu, governor of Judea, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadakah, the high priest. This Joshua is a different Joshua, not the Joshua that went into the promised land. Continuing, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. 
Is it a time for you yourself to be living in panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? God was furious with the Jews. Everybody felt, yeah, we should just stop. And when they stopped, they were discouraged, they were indifferent. Their concerns changed from spiritual concerns to personal concerns. People started thinking, yeah, I need to build this villa. I need to do my MBA. I need to improve my golf handicap. I need my next promotion. It's time for me to have a baby. And so on and so forth. So the question here is, why isn't God's house first? And continuing in verse 5. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thoughts to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So God basically is now telling his people to count your lost blessings. You are indifferent, and I am withholding my blessings to you. And, be, and as we move on to verse uh, 8, uh, let me read on. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Again, the Lord says, Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountain and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Go start and do the work. And in verse 9, God issued a warning. He says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. So the Lord warned the people again. And through the prophet Haggai, the people started to listen and obey. As we see in verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shittil, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. They finally obeyed. And in verse 13, 
Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. When the people obeyed, God showed up. God does not show up just because we are drifting off. God does not need us. We need Him. We need to obey. And then He show up. And in verse 14, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shittil, governor of Judea, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. So in these three verses, we witness three events. Obedience, the presence of God, and the stirring of the people. How often do the people or even I myself, always wait upon the stirring of God. We pray and sit for weeks and months. And like the people in Israel, 15 years hoping that God will stir us. It doesn't work that way, I found. We will be stirred when we obey first His word, first His command, first His will, and He will be there to stir us up. Message number two from the book of Haggai. Consider the future glory of my temple. Verses 6 to 9, chapter 2. Um, I, I need to always read quickly through the verses so that we understand the contextual background of it. In verse 1, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shetil, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenant with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. In, the, in these first five verses, God is telling the people, do not be discouraged and do not fear. Why? Because when the young saw the new temple that has been rebuilt, they were excited. But there was still the older generation who survived the exile, who survived the invasion. They wept because they saw that this was nothing in comparison with the Solomon's temple, 
with its splendor, with its magnificence. But God told the people, do not be discouraged. Because in verse 6 to 9, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the desire of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. After God shakes all nations in the tribulation, Jesus will return to rule and fill the future millennial temple with the fullness of the glory of God. Do not be too concerned about this current glory. There's a wonderful future to look forward to. Now, the third message and the final message from the book of Haggai, I'd like to take you through, is God's telling the people, consider your blessings from the completion of my temple. And here we'll be looking at uh, chapter 2, verse 14. And let me read, uh, and we'll be doing a cross-referencing to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, and Romans chapter 8, verse 8. Uh, starting with verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest of the law. Ask the priest what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his government and that fold touches some bread or steel, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, replied the priest. It becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with these people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Wow, what does this mean? I understand it to be from these couple of verses that, number one, the holy does not make the unholy clean. Number two, the unholy does make the holy unclean. So it is with these people. The past holiness of Israel did not mean that the people of Israel were now holy. It doesn't mean they were holy in the past, now they are still holy. So their current sinfulness brought the cursing of God upon them and their children, making their worship, sacrifices and offerings unacceptable to God. Let us note that when we have sinned in our lives, 
even the good things we attempt to do for God or others become defiled. And God here is talking about the guilt of the people. This is why no good work of a lost person can be accepted to, acceptable to God. And in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, Isaiah wrote, or God says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are filthy rags. We all shrivel out like a leaf, and the wind, our sins, sweep us away. Additionally, let us also know that this is why no good work done in the flesh by a saved person who is not filled with the Holy Spirit can be acceptable to God. So we talk about an unsaved person doing good works, unacceptable. We are also talking about a saved person, but doing works in the flesh, not being filled with the Holy Spirit, this is also unacceptable to God. As we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Okay? So in this first couple of verses, God is talking to them, telling the people of their guilt, of their guilt. And let us move on to the final verse, verses here, uh, 18 and 19. Let me start with verse 15. Now, give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, and yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. At that time, all the crops were failures because the temple was not complete. And continuing in verse 18, God says, From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to, to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. From this day on, I will bless you. And indeed, once they started the work and when the temple was completed, the Lord, they had abundant harvest. And the temple was finally completed in 1516 BC. So, um, that was what I shared. I, I'm, I share with you what I've learned. And I'd like to go through a couple of uh, applications uh, with uh, you, brothers and sisters, on my own personal journey. I, in the past, always pray, God, bless this. God, I want to achieve this blessing. 
God, this is where we like to do, where we like to go, and this is what we want to do. It's actually a personal agenda. And we tell God, bless it. Over the last couple of years, I believe and that I've changed. Nowadays, I pray, God, this is what could be done. This is where we could go. Your will be done. Show me your will. That it, it, that it will be an agenda that is God. That God led. When I first returned to Singapore in 2013, even though I'm still shuttling back and forth between Singapore and Beijing, I was actually telling myself, wow, after, after so many years in Beijing, it might not be a bad time to take some time out, huh? Kind of just sit back there and just listen. Come in on Sunday, and walk out after the service and just take some time out. As I learned from this book of Haggai, God says, No, Stephen, there's no time out. Because when you prayed to me, did I ever tell you, Oh, sorry, Stephen, for the next two weeks, don't bother me, I'm in Phuket. He never takes time out. God is number one. Yeah? We should never take our time out. Everything is His. Our obedience. Um, I kind of went through this earlier. It is only through our obedience that God will show His presence and he will stir us up. Yeah. Whatever else you may have forgotten from today's sharing, but please remember this. God will stir you up when you obey. When we obey. He will stir us up. He will fire us up. He will provide everything. When he stirs us up, you know great things are going to happen. Well, I believe there's only three people still listening. <laughs> when God stirs us up, great things are going to happen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Last but not least, before I close, I would like to say, CCC, or wherever you are in future, it is home. Please never say, well, my home is back in Christ church. Therefore, my home church is in Christ church. My home is in Chicago. So my home church is in Chicago. No. Home church, home is where God is with you now. Now, there are two more persons who are still following the sharing. Home church is where CCC is, isn't it? Amen. Could I have a louder amen? Amen. amen. Okay. And um, 
It truly, um, I've been here for a month. The first Sunday when I was here, when Rick said CCC fell off the horse, I nearly, I fell off the chair. Uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was devastating. It was devastating to, to hear of that. But praise God, we obey. We obey. But let us continue to obey so that CCC never fall off the horse again. Yeah, amen? amen. Yeah, so let's revive our spiritual commitment to God. Okay? And um, I thank you again for the privilege uh, and the humility uh, to be able to share with you today of what I've learned. Um, I hope that we take this uh, and uh, continue to build CCC as a wonderful, wonderful foundation for God to truly, truly extend His reach and pour His blessings upon the people that you will touch in your life here in Beijing and in places you go. And especially from Matthew 28, verse 19, the most, one of the most important commandments that Jesus has given us is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I've commanded you. Uh, let's pray together. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Father, we just thank you for, uh, for your grace, your love, and your mercy. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Father, we pray for obedience. We pray for submission. We pray for um, your continued pouring out of blessings for this community and uh, this family of brothers and sisters here. Father, that you anoint each and every one of us to be, to be your sword and light. Uh, to be your, uh, to be your, uh, to be your ambassador uh, to to the world here, uh, Father, that you use each of us mightily, fill us full with the Holy Spirit every day, that uh, you use us to reach out to others that still have not known you, and especially uh, to the 兄弟姐妹们，他们还没认识到耶稣的，我们一定要。去把神的话、神的恩典、神的伟大转达给他们。And Father, I just pray that you continue, continue to use CCC、uh, for your glory and for your、uh, for your kingdom here、uh, in China and beyond. And we pray and thank all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Amen.